I have it on high junior authority that if I had let that run for one frame longer, that would be cringeworthy beyond cringeworthy on a Sunday morning uh, with children in the audience. Um, so I'm a good father and I stopped it there. <laughs> That's close enough for them. The Greatest Showman. I think, I think we all agree that most probably the critics got it wrong. Uh, the critics, when they uh, analysed the, the, the film, gave it a little bit of a thumbs down, said it wasn't going to go anywhere, uh, no one's going to bother going to it. But people flocked to it, and, it, and the theatres were filled, and uh, the public really enjoyed the movie, The Greatest Showman. And uh, in it, obviously, there is some great songs, there's some dance, and some some, you know, uh, drama and things like that going on. But in it also is, is a fantastic storyline of the struggles of, of this guy, uh, P.T. Barnum, who was a uh, poor tailor's son. And his dream of both entertaining people and making people smile, but at the same time, uh, providing a, a future for him and his wife, which is beyond what society would offer them at that time because they were of the poor class and his struggles with that. And it's very much a, a, a movie about doubt being overcome. You know, the doubts of whether or not he would ever climb out of being just a poor tailor's boy. There was doubts about whether he'd ever have the finances to do this. There was doubts about whether um, people would come to the things. And then his business failed. And then would the business ever go again? And then, and then when it sort of looks like it's going again, it all comes crumbling down. And, and there's all this doubt going on. But in amongst this doubt that, that, that he is overcoming and obviously ends up with, with that final song, there's also a number of other characters that he gathers along the way. And these are the, 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 the social outcasts of the day, the people who are a little bit different to everyone else, the people who had no right to be in the main society stream and so would lock themselves away uh, so they'd be hidden from society. And in this, in this film, one of the themes that, that comes about is that actually these guys are brought together and they realize that actually they do have a worth and they do have... Um, a, a belonging, and they, they build this sense of belonging together as they then come out to entertain people and make people smile. And it's a fantastic story. I love The Greatest Showman. I, I do. I, I really enjoy the, the, the music and the storyline. But it gets me thinking sometimes, and one of the thoughts that I have about that is, is how much I sort of actually quite enjoy the circus. I know circuses aren't such a big thing anymore than what they were when, when, when I was a kid. It was a big event to go to the circus. I even had to travel to the big smoke of Auckland to see a circus when I was young. But I was thinking to myself, what would be the most scary thing to do in the circus? What would be the thing that would create the most doubt in my mind? And I think, um, without a doubt, it's these guys here. It's the trapeze. I think the trapeze, being a trapeze artist, would be absolutely freaky. And, and it would scare me to death. Well, no, it wouldn't scare me to death. I'd still be alive, but it would scare me a lot. Now, now you, could argue, you could argue that the one up from this would potentially be the person who stood there while someone threw knives at them. 
Um, but that's just plain stupid. Uh, so I don't, I don't include that in, in, in my list of, of, of things that I'd even contemplate doing. But the trapeze artists are, are, are incredible, um, incredible artists who, who swing through the, 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 the high um, areas of, of, of the big tent. Why I think it would be a scary thing is imagine, imagine then just being so high up and jumping off and swinging by something, that's bad enough, but then actually being asked to let go. And to fly through the air with no hope of actually doing anything yourself, wouldn't that be an awfully fairy sort of moment? Wouldn't that create all sorts of doubts in your mind? You mean I'm letting go of the safety and you want me to fly through the air? Particularly back at the beginning when they didn't necessarily have all the uh, safety nets and things like that. There was quite a number of people sort of died doing it. But, you know, just imagine for a minute that the doubt that would be going through your mind the first times that you were, were doing that. Is this catcher going to catch me? Can I really trust him? I hope he hasn't got sweaty palms. And then that moment comes when you hear his voice, now, and you've got to trust. You've got to trust him to let go because he's got the timing, he's got your back. And so you let go and fly through the air praying and then suddenly, whoop, the large hands of the catcher clasp your, your, your arms and you swing through the air again. Wouldn't it be a fantastic feeling? But you'd have all this doubt initially but as time goes on and the more and more you did it, the more you became to trust your catcher. You knew that he was going to catch you and the less the doubt would come to the fore and the more you'd be able to express yourself and then you'd be able to start working in a few flips and back turns and double-head fluffy dice or whatever they do um, and, 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 and you know that the catcher's got your back and he's going he's to catch you. What might interest you is that this is also how our Christian life uh, is likened. John Ortberg, in his book Faith and Doubt, says that the Christian life is very much like a trapeze artist, where we go through these periods of, of doubt, swinging, and God is asking us to, to let go of things, trust him, and that he'll catch us. He says that the, 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 the Christian life is very much this, this co constant conflict between doubt and belief. And that God is, is, is asking us at times of doubt to just trust him and he'll, and he'll catch us. And like the trapeze artist who then gains confidence from doing it, John Ortberg says that basically we do the same. That as we learn to trust God through our times of doubt, over time, we become more and more confident in him, and we can grow in what we can do. And instead of doubt being something to be ashamed of, instead of doubt being something to be, to be scared of, John Ortberg sort of makes this argument that actually doubt is a, is a time of, 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 to look forward to in our Christian walk, a time that can be of, of great growth in, 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 your, in your Christian walk.
The truth of the matter is that we all doubt. All right? The truth of the matter is that we all, at some stage, have these doubts. Whether we like to confess them or not, we'll all have that moment when we think to ourselves, man, God's made an awesome work of creation, but he failed on me. We'll all have those moments when we think, you know, sure, God so loved the world, but did he really love me? We all have these moments when we think, surely a guy who walked this world 2,000 years ago can't hold the key to my life now, or to the life of my friends, to the life of the world? We all have those times when we think to ourselves, surely this Christian message of, 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 of grace and forgiveness through the work of Jesus Christ is just simply too good to be true. We all have it, but often we hide it away and we pretend it doesn't exist. But maybe, maybe we should be, be, be more aware of our own doubts and learning to grow through it and learning to learn from it, just like the trapeze artist learns to, to go through their doubts and to trust more. If you pick up the Bible, and if you read the Bible, you'll see from the front cover through stories of real people struggling constantly between this belief and doubt. This belief and doubt. It's neither completely one or the other. People are always struggling with it. From Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, where uh, they doubted God's, God's wisdom in, in, in saying, don't eat from this tree. Through to the likes of the great Abraham, who, who believed God and was credited to him as righteousness, but then doubted that God actually had it under control and God needed his help to get things done. And right through the, 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 the Bible, you read these, the, these Bible characters, none of them have got it perfectly because they're all like you and me. They all struggle constantly with this belief on one hand and this doubt on the other. If you just look at the disciples for a minute, there is a, the biggest band of, 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 of two-faced people, well, not two-faced, but, but double-minded people that you see around. These guys were, walked with Jesus for a number of years. They saw all his miracles, but still when you look at their lives and what they say and do, there's this constant friction between faith and doubt from, from belief and, and from non-belief, from from, from worship and then worrying about things. They're just like you and me. We are all the same. We are all sinners saved by grace. And we all have that same human tendencies that we bring into it. Because the reality is, reality is we aren't God. And we don't have the ability to see from his eternal perspective. We're confined to these human bodies and we all doubt. I read this verse over the holidays and I don't know how many times I'd read it before, but then all of a sudden it came in new light. This verse is written from the Great Commission, okay? So the disciples had seen their Saviour die. 
The disciples had seen the empty tomb. The disciples had seen the risen Jesus Christ in bodily in his risen bodily form. And Jesus had gone, he'd appeared to many people, and here he is at the Great Commission. He is about to leave, he's about to give them their commands to go into all the world. And we read this when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. No one or two, some of them. Some of them still doubted then. Trust me, doubt does not belong to you. You do not have tabs on doubt. We all have it. The question is, what do you do with it? I love the summer series because I get to, we get to talk on whatever we like and, and in terms of encounters with Jesus, I love this particular, uh, a particular encounter with Jesus that we're going to look at today. I love it because in it has got eight words that will potentially transform your life this year. Eight words that will potentially transform how you develop in your Christian walk. And the eight words that I learnt very long time ago through a time of personal loss and struggle when I was wondering where God was at in my world, where I wondered why he wasn't necessarily listening to me or why I was going through the, the trauma that I was going through. But it is, it is eight words that have proven their worth time and time again. And it's interesting, they're not eight words said by Jesus. They're not eight words uttered by the disciples. They're not eight words said by religious leaders. But when we read the passages, passage together, I'm sure these eight words will jump out at you and you'll see them with new light. So I'm going to ask you to turn in your, in your Bibles or in your apps to the, the passage which is Mark chapter 9, verses 14 to 29. And we're going to start reading them together. It says this, When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about, he asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son, who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. Gnashing, uh, he foams at the mouth, gnashing his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Let's just pause here for a moment because I think we should just set the scene for what's happening. In the beginning of this chapter of Mark, there is very much what they call a, a mountaintop experience. In the first few verses of, of, of Mark, Jesus takes his three closest disciples, Peter, John, and James, and he takes them up a high mountain. And it's, and it's a mountain that we've termed Mount of Transfiguration, 
because it's not actually named that I can find anyway. And it's not named for a purpose because I don't think Jesus or God wants us to draw our attention to the, to the mountain, but to what happened on there. Some of the kids might be thinking to themselves, transfiguration, what on earth does that mean? It means that Jesus was transfigured. He was changed in his being. All right? So for an instant, for a moment, the three disciples saw a little bit of, of, of Jesus' glory. And the, and the Gospels, when they describe it, say that, that Jesus' light, his face shone brightly and his, and his clothes were, were whiter than white. It says in this passage, whiter than, than bleach. Anyone could bleach clothes. For us, it would be whiter than, than bleach, vanished, and personal combined. These, he, he, he was just glowing with whiteness and, and his face just glowed and the disciples were absolutely petrified. They'd never seen anything like this. And here beside Jesus was, was Elijah and Moses and they were talking with Jesus about the things that would come, which were going to be Jesus' death on the cross, his, his resurrection and things like that. And they are talking together and, and Peter just sort of stumbles out this, oh, it's good to be here, let's build three shelters for you. Because he didn't know what to say, because he was so afraid, and it was a, it was an awesome sight. It was a, it was it was very much a, a a mountaintop moment where God revealed His glory. Because then this cloud came down and it surrounded them, and this voice appeared and it said, "This is my Son, whom I love. Listen to Him." And so they'd gone from this mount of transfiguration, this, this moment which, which was, was, was very much a mountaintop moment where God's glory was revealed in Jesus, and then they come down to the valley. They come down to the valley, and as they descend, they find this big raucous going on. Now, I was actually thinking of showing a little bit of a film clip here, but when I looked at the film clips of how it's been interpreted, it's all far too tame because I have a picture in my mind when I read these verses of this big, raucous Middle Eastern crowd and not just one or two people saying a little cross word to each other. I, I see this big sort of dispute going on with plenty of spitting on the ground and kicking the ground, perhaps a bit of dust throwing in the air and things like that. Something with a bit more passion than what a, a, a Kiwi crowd would, would do. Because what had happened is, 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 this, is, is this boy had been brought to disciples and, and the disciples hadn't been able to heal him. And so the religious leaders were there. They thought, well, here's our chance. We'll throw a few barbs and you can, you can imagine the conversations. Not so great after all, are you? Eh? Whose name is that you're calling on? Doesn't seem to be working, does it? You guys are all hoax, aren't you? All of you, hoax. You can't do anything, can you? And you can imagine the, 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 the disciples sort of retorting back, well, at least we're trying. Don't see you lifting a finger to help this poor man. And, and the Pharisees and adult would, would, would reply back to them, yes, but he's so obviously stooped in sin, isn't he? Why else would his son be affected by this, this horrible uh, disease which is going on? He, he must be stooped in sin. He's a, he must be a, a sinner and, 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 and the son has been born into a sinful family. And, and you can imagine all this sort of going on, eh? 
and it's real raucous. And so, so Jesus comes down from this mountaintop moment into the valley and he finds all this, this raucous thing going on. And this, in the middle of it all is this father desperately trying to bring his son to be healed. We find out a little bit later that, that his son has been like this since childhood. And you can imagine the trauma and that, that this father has gone through over his life as he's, as he's tried to perhaps hide his son from society because I'm sure he was taken to be the freak show. People will stand and gawk as, as the son goes through all this. And, um, and, and I, I can imagine that, that he's just had uh, this, this years and years of of, 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 of trying to hide him away, trying to get him healed by various people and, and it all failing. And in amongst all this argument, you can imagine him there just cowering with his son while the disciples and the religious leaders argue. And then Jesus steps in. And he says, You unbelieving generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the boy saw Jesus, he immediately, when the spirit saw Jesus, he immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, How long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. I just love, I just love the honesty of that reply of the Father. If you can do anything, this isn't the prayer of a of a spiritual warrior. This isn't a, 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 the prayer of a, a name and claim uh, uh, spiritual warrior. This isn't the, the, uh, a, a, a mighty religious prayer. It is the desperate cry for help from a father who's exhausted from it all. And he says to Jesus, if you can do anything, please help. I love that honesty. There is nothing hidden there. And Jesus replies, if I can, if you can, everything is possible for one who believes. And then immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. The boy's father didn't pause long. The boy's father didn't say, well, wait a minute, let me consider this. The boy's father didn't say, oh, well, actually, God, uh, actually, Jesus, you're, you're right. I didn't really mean to say if. Um, uh, I really meant to say because you are the Son of God. You know, 
which is sort of what we would want to do. We'd want to make a, a bit of a comeback, make ourselves a, a little bit better than this, but not with his father. He instantly replies, yes, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. The father's response is incredibly insightful into this constant struggle that you and I have as we go through our Christian walks. Of on the one hand, yes, we believe, but on the other hand, you get these times when doubt come creeping in. And we need to echo the words of the father here in this story and say, I do believe. Help me to overcome my unbelief. I promised you that those words would jump out of the page at you, didn't I? I didn't even put them on bold, eh? It's your eyes. No. We're going to return to these verses, this, this, this little eight, eight words in a second, because we want to unpack them in a little bit more detail. But first, let's just finish the story, just so that we know how it ends, and then we'll get back to this exciting part here. Well, actually, it wouldn't, the next part would be pretty exciting for the father, to be honest. Says this. Immediately, uh, so, 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 verse twenty-five. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, so here's that, here's that freak show again we we're talking about before. Oh, here's that boy going at it again. You can imagine this crowd coming, oh, and they're all running on the way to, to to see it. Jesus rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and he came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up to his feet, and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this kind can only come out. Uh, this kind can come out only by prayer. So, despite the, the 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 father saying, still in his response, I believe, but I still got this unbelief here. Jesus heals the boy, stoops down, picks him up, and makes him well. So the story ends well. But I think that the father's response is outstanding. I think we would all grow in our own doubt, in our own Christian walks, if we could echo what this father does. And I'm going to show you five outstanding things he does through this little encounter with these eight words. First of all, the father shows intense honesty with God. He doesn't try and hide anything with God. The reality is, God already knows it anyway, doesn't he? God knows what you're thinking. God knows your heart better than you. So the truth is, why bother even trying to hide anything from him? Because he knows it already. He knows when you are struggling with a bit of doubt. 
He knows when you're saying to him in your heart, oh, I'm not sure if God has got this. Even when we try and pretend everything is under control. The man shows intense honesty with God and that is the very first thing that we have to learn to do. The second thing is that the man shows incredible honesty with himself. Because he actually was willing to admit that he had these doubts, that he had this unbelief that needed to be helped through, he was putting himself in a, in a stage where he was being real with himself, and he was, because he was being real with himself, he was turning this into an opportunity where he could actually learn himself and grow from it. When we try and deny our own doubts to ourselves, we can never turn them into an opportunity of growth for ourselves. But when we are true and honest with ourselves, we can actually turn the situation of doubt into a great time of growth in our faith. And we'll talk about that. And how we do that will be the next three points. But it's essential that we are honest with God and honest with ourselves. The next three bits, though, are the crux of what is really, really important and what we do with our doubt. Now, if this man had in his mind all this doubt going on, if he had just stayed at home, what would have happened? Nothing. Nothing. If the man was willing just to say, well, I've got these doubts, and I'm not sure, you know, I've been through so much, I'll just, no, 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 I'm just stay here. Nothing would have happened. The only reason that anything happened, anything good came out of this, is because that man brought his mixture of belief and doubts to Jesus. And that there has to be the very first thing that we do with our doubts. There is no point moping about our doubts and thinking, oh, look, you know, I'll just sit on it and I'll just hope it goes away. And sometimes it... No, no, it won't go away. But bring them to Jesus like this man does. It makes sense though, doesn't it? You know, if you've got a problem about life, why not bring the problem about life to the life giver? Why not bring this problem to the one who flung the stars into space and calls them all by name? Why not bring them to the one who holds the world in his hands? Why not bring them to the one who, who on his earthly life showed through his miracles that he's got power over, over nature and, and diseases, he's got power over sin, he had power over death and the grave, he's got power over everything. Why not bring it to him? Bring it to Jesus, the one person who could potentially do something about it. I love it uh, in, in John Ortberg's book. He's got this chapter about why he believes and things like that. And he's, he's got this um, quote, which I thought I wasn't going to be able to read, so I, th I thought I'd bring the book. 
And uh, he's got a couple of really fantastic quotes. Um, and this, this one here says, There is simply no one more worth trusting than Jesus. There is no one whose understanding of life can come close to his. There is no one who affected history like him. There is simply no other source, no book, no guru, no hunch, no personal experience worth betting the farm on or worth betting your life on. Jesus stands alone. There is no one else, there's no other piece of wisdom that, you can, that, that comes close to Jesus' understanding of life and what you're going through. John also has this, a bit in, in this book about uh, the opposite side where he says, I've never heard anybody say, one day I realized there was no God, no one behind reality, no life after death. I realized existence is meaningless accident, begun by chance and destined for oblivion, and it changed my life. I've never heard it said that I used to be addicted to alcohol, but now that the law of natural selection has set me free. I used to be greedy, but now the story of the Big Bang has made me generous. I used to be afraid, but now a random chance has made me brave. And it's so true, isn't it? The only person, the only person who can provide insight, the only person who can get you through this is Jesus. He is the one who is in the business of life changing. I mean, who else would take a, 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 a self-absorbed Pharisee who was crucifying the, the church and killing the church members and turn him into this self-sacrificial, loving guy who, who planted so many churches and has written most of our New Testament. And, and, and Paul, Jesus is in, is in the business of life change. Why don't we bring it to him? The fourth thing that this man does, which is quite incredible, is he starts off on solid ground. You notice when he's dealing with his unbelief, he doesn't start off with the unbelief being the big picture. He does something incredibly, incredibly important, and he says, this is the solid ground I stand on. I do believe. I'm not sure of that. But I do believe. And sometimes when we're going through our times of doubt, this is exactly where we need to come as well. We need to come to the Bible. We need to come to, to the rock. We need to come to the, the foundation upon which we are building our lives and just remind ourselves again of the foundational truths. Why I say this is important because the reality is when we are having doubts in our mind, our doubts become all-consuming and they, they feel as if they're just smothering us and we feel as if that's all that we can see. And we've got to snap ourselves out of it and say that I need to return to the truths. I need to return to the things that I can be sure of, the things that I can believe. I need to return to the rock, the foundation upon which I am building my life. I need to return to God's word. I do believe. 
This is where getting yourselves into God's Word is so, so important. This is where learning Scripture actually is incredibly important as well because there will be particular verses that speak to you that through memory you can bring out in these times of doubt and things like that that bring, that bring comfort and through what you're going through, that brings security, that brings strength. This is where Scripture memory is so important. But the beauty is, we can even go beyond that today. So that you don't have to be a so-called religious giant. You don't have to have necessarily remembered all the bits of Scripture because you've got your phone with you. You've got your iPad with you. And everyone who has got their iPad or your phone with you, oh, it's not letting me do it because my hand's all sweaty, right, has got the Bible app. Everyone has got the Bible app on their, on their phones. Well, if you don't, you should be getting it downloaded. If you don't have it on your iPad you play with, you should be getting your parents to download it onto the iPad because it's a fantastic resource. Because no longer do you have to, to flick through the, the, the Bible trying to find that verse. I know that there's that verse in there that says something to me in this moment. You can just click on search. And then under search, you can, under search, you've got, you don't even have, there's some words at the top saying love, peace, faith, he, healing, marriage, and things like that. But you don't have to read those words. You can just got faces there. And you can say, how are you feeling? Oh, Oh, I'm a sad face today. So I click on sad face. And it says, uh, why, why are you sad? Shame, depressed, discouraged, forgotten. Oh, I'm, I'm hopeless, actually. I'm, I, I just can't do this whole sort of talking business out in front of people. I feel so nervous. And, and so I clicked on hopeless this morning. Um, and it comes up and it says, 1 Peter 5, 7. It says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. It's got John 16 there. I have told you these things so that in me you'll have peace. In this world you'll have trouble, but, but take care, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And it's all there at our fingertips. There is no reason at all that we cannot return to this, I believe. I do believe. This is the core. I know this, God. And then the, th the last thing he does is he then addresses his unbelief. And he addresses it in a way which dispowers the unbelief. He dispowers the doubt and how he deals with it. How does he dispower it? Because he asks to overcome it. He doesn't deny the fact that he's got this doubt. He doesn't deny that it's going on here. But he says, God, I'm going to need you to help me overcome it. I'm not going to be stuck here in this doubt. I am not going to remain here, God. But it's going to have to be you who gets me through it. I believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Fantastic words. Eight in total. Uttered not by a religious leader, 
but by a father who was desperate for Jesus' intervention. By a, a real person like you and me. I love reading books about people whose lives have been transformed by Jesus because it reminds me that Jesus is in the game of life change. And over the summer, I read a book which had been on my to-read list for quite some time. It's this book here, Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. I don't know whether many of you have read this. It's a fantastic book. It's been out for a little while yet, but I, I finally got my chance to, to sink into it. And, it's a fan, and the book is, is a real-life story of this journey of faith of this very devout Muslim man who grew up in, in, in a loving Muslim family, who, 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 who taught the Islamic way with, with great dedication and fervor, who, who, who raised their, their, their children to, to, to the nth degree in terms of you know, what, what Islam was asking for them. And, and, and he grew up in this environment. And then he goes to, to college where he decides that he is going to discredit the Christian uh, and this group of friends that he's got. And he's going to prove to the Christian once and for all that the claims about Jesus, the claims about his deity and his resurrection have no foundation. And through this book, he honestly starts looking at it and he realizes, actually, actually, the claims about Jesus' deity and his resurrection, that's solid ground. And as he, as, he, as, he, as he struggles with this, because this is completely against everything that he has ever been taught, he struggles with this. He, determined, he decides to have a look at his, at his own faith and, and what he was brought up with. And he, and he finds that actually the ground that he had been building his life on, this Islamic faith, was, was pretty shaky ground. And he became convinced of the fact that there is truth in Jesus Christ. There is truth in his claims to be deity. There is truth in his resurrection. But he couldn't believe because he had these doubts. And the doubts were all these emotional ties. Because to believe, he would have to give up everything that he had learnt. To believe, he would have to say goodbye to his family and to his friends. He would be an outcast from everyone that he grew up with. And, and, and it, it is quite possible that some fervent people in the Islamic faith would, would see that his, any defection from the Islamic faith worthy of death. Because... Unfortunately, that is what is taught. And so to believe would potentially not only cost him everything he knows, but it could potentially cost him his life. And he's struck. He's constantly caught in this, 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 this battle between doubt and belief. Doubt and belief. And God is calling to him throughout, saying, uh, you know, it's sort of like he was, he, was, he was swinging on trapeze, and God is calling to him, saying, let go. And he sort of responds, kicking, I can't, I can't. And then God whispers to him again, let go, trust me. And he says, I can't, I can't. And, 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 and it's, it's a fantastic 
look at, at, at the struggles that are, are going on for, for someone to, to convert from something like Islam to, to Christianity. I don't think I'm going to be spoiling the story given the title of the book <laughs> if I tell you what happens because finally he does. He decides to let go and to trust God and you know what? He finds out that Jesus is the best catcher you could ever have. He finds out that, this is, this is, that, that, that God had his back all along. This year, as we go through the year, I can guarantee that doubts will come. Because they always do. But let us take a lesson from the circus, from the trapeze. Let us take a lesson from this, this man who, who brought his, his son. And like a, a, a trapeze artist learning to let go of the trapeze and trust the catcher, let us learn also to let go and to trust that Jesus is God and catch us because I can guarantee that he will. God makes it very clear that he will always be found if you seek him. He is not going to turn people away when they cry out to him for help. God makes it very clear that he is always there. And he will ask you to let go and to trust. To trust his catching. And as you do that, you will find that this moment of doubt can turn into a moment of triumph. And the more that you see that, that God can come through this doubt, the more that he can turn this doubt into times of triumph, the stronger you will grow in your faith of your catcher. And the stronger your Christian life will grow. And you will overcome your doubt. The impossible will come true. Because God is, in the, is, is, is into life change. He will change you. And as a result, we can say without a doubt that this, this is the greatest life. This is the greatest life. Rob and the band are just going to come up and we're just going to finish the songs. I know I've gone way over. But I think it's really important to finish with a song. Actually, yeah, I, don't, I think you should finish with both of them, Robin, personally, because I think we should celebrate. I think we should celebrate this, this God whom we worship, who is alive, who is active, who, who, is, who, who, who is not scared of the truths, not scared of the struggles that we go through. The God who, who is very much alive and the God who has got the best catcher hands you could ever imagine. And then when we let go, when we're flying through the air and we've got all these doubts, he's a God who will whoosh and grab us by the hand and swing us. Awesome. Thanks, Jude. Hey, we have been overawed by the preacher because I was going to finish with one, but we're going to stand and finish with both songs. Let's stand together. It's great to worship our God.